Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. One of the things that I was taught growing up, I've shared this before, but um, it really introduces what I'm going to talk about. Like we were taught behavioral modification um, because that's just like what you do. I'm a parent of three kids. And so like for a while, it doesn't matter how we do it. We just want our kids to obey. We will manipulate it. We will bribe it. And I don't have any qualms with that. Like you just do anything to, you can to get them to obey. But we just tend to teach behavioral modification. And when I was growing up, the tool of choice for behavioral modification was this paddle that my dad had made that I've talked about before. Um, he spent time sanding that thing and crafting it. And um, it was beautiful. I think it had some kind of finish on it, a little hole on the end so you could um, hang it in the kitchen somewhere and then beat the crap out of your kids, you know, when was that time? So that's how it went down in our house. Like that was the means for behavior modification. And I'm not um, bitter about this, but some of you lucky punks that sat in corners and thought about stuff um, is like, that just didn't happen. In fact, okay, real quick, in, in an appropriate way, there was people in your neighborhood that could spank you and your parents would thank them. They would bring you home and like, thank you, he deserved it, we'll take it from here. And then my dad would spank us again. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, in, in kindergarten, we used to line up in a line to get spankings if it was our day in kindergarten, like literally at school. So again, I'm not bitter, but I, you guys who just got to think about stuff in the corner, um, that, that did not happen. And so the memory I always think about, I told the story once before, um, the earliest memory of behavioral modification was when we had this rule, I was about nine, my sister was six, Heather, she's three years younger, um, that we weren't supposed to throw stuff in the living room and that was a big rule and we knew what the consequences for that were. And so something happened, something got broke. I was the culprit, but somehow, even though she was not the, um, she wouldn't, seemed to be the, the chief suspect, she got blamed for it. Um, and you know how when those events happen, you're watching it happen and it gets too far down the road and you feel like you can't intervene? You know what I'm talking about, the South? You know what I'm talking about? So like um, they start to interrogate her as much as you can for a six-year-old, but um, we meant business in my house. And so started talking to her and she got blamed for breaking this thing in the living room. And, and literally I'm like, okay, it's, it's too far gone now. I can't say anything. And then I watched my sister get led like a sheep to the slaughter into the next room to be paddled for what I did. Like my six-year-old, like if you don't think there's a sin nature, like what is wrong with me? Um, and I listened to it. I heard it. She took the fall for it. And, and this is no joke. Several years ago, I told that story for the first time um, while my sister Heather was in the audience with my dad. I had never told them that story before. And so that was my um, confessional because there was like hundreds of people and there's a buffer time. So that by the time I walk off stage, um, they can only be so mad. But like that was my earliest memory of behavior modification, which is a good thing. Like we're taught what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say, and that's appropriate. And I like, I do that with my kids. Like you're going somewhere and I'm like, Eric, look, you like it. You know what I'm talking about? If you're going to somebody, somebody's house to eat or whatever they're going through at the moment, you're like, hey boys, don't drop your pants in somebody's living room for the next hour. Like, I don't know why that's a thing, but my kids, my boys just drop their pants and, and public on a regular basis. And so like, don't do that for the next hour. Like just, act, just get it together. And all of us, like all of us do that. And then as you get older, you develop a more sophisticated kind of system for behavioral modification. And it's a good thing, like emotional intelligence, what to do to get a date, keep a job, hopefully all that stuff. But here's the thing about it, and we talked about this before, but that is eventually your filter, your sophisticated filter that, that you develop as you get older and mature, eventually it breaks down, right? And every once in a while, something comes out and you're like, oh, that's not like me. Oh, I, I didn't mean to say that. I, I didn't mean to do that. It's kind of an aberration. And yet, as you go to the New Testament, Jesus is like, that's not really true. 
Like all the other stuff is kind of a result of the sophisticated filter. And those times where it's like, oh, I don't know where that came from. I don't know why that, I reacted that way. That might be the truest self that you've been in a while. Because for all of us, as good as we get at the game, eventually it doesn't hold up. Eventually it breaks down and we do stuff that we wanna chalk up to, it's just you know, not me, but Jesus would step in and so no, that, that may be something in you that you need to pay attention to. And so as we've talked about in this series, I wanna talk about the rumble strip that relates to paying attention to and being aware of the emotion and the stuff inside of you that may lead you to a different place down the road if you do not pay attention to it. Now, here's what we've talked about with rumble strips. Um, rumble strips, if you haven't been here, is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit territories. So you all, we hit the rumble strip. Here's what we know about rumble strips to catch us up. They can't save you. That's not what they're designed to do. They can't change how you drive. They just reveal that you can't drive. And they're, they're this, here's what rumble strips can do though. They can redirect you and they can protect you. Like when you hit the rumble strip, bum, 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 you know something's wrong. You know that you need to pull it back. You know that if you keep going that direction, it could end badly for you and your car. And the other thing we've said about rumble strips is this, is that the rumble strip is always in the safety zone, but it's never in the danger zone, right? Rumble strips aren't in the ditch. Rumble strips aren't an inch from the wall. Rumble strips are in a place of margin so that when you hit the rumble strip, it is an indicator to you that you need to pay attention to that. And if you keep going that direction, it's not gonna go well for you. And here's what we've said. We don't just need rumble strips in terms of our driving. We need rumble strips in regard to our life, our marriage, our sex life, our other relationships, how we parents, our kids, like just those things going on inside of us. And what rumble strips in life really represent is it is a behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about illegal and illegal. It's not about what everybody else is doing. It is in light of where I'm at, in light of my future, in light of my dreams. Like what is the wise thing for me to do? And I wanna pay attention to the stuff that in many cases, nobody else pays attention to because it doesn't seem like a big deal in the moment. But if I keep moving in that direction, I might end up at a place in life where I've done some irreparable damage. And so for the next couple of minutes at both of our campuses, I wanna talk about some rumble strips or a rumble strip in regard to guarding your heart. Now, if you're a dude, it's easy to dismiss when you start talking about emotions and soul and heart and all that. So just track with me to the end. But I wanna talk about guarding your heart because Solomon, um, who we've already quoted, it, Solomon wrote about sex. We looked at that already. Solomon wrote about business. Solomon wrote about philosophy. He comes along and says, as brilliant as all of that is and as big a deal as all of that is, here is the chief concern or what should be the chief concern for every single human being. And he says this, above everything else, Parenting your kids, helping out your parents, getting a job, advancing in your career, above all of that. That's all important, but above all of that. He says, guard your what? All right, still working on it over here. South Campus, guard your what? For everything you do flows out of it. Like, I don't know if you know this and it's easy to dismiss right now, but you parent out of your heart. You lead out of your heart. You, you conduct relationships out of your heart. Heart meaning that inner place inside of you. And Solomon's like, if you don't do anything else, I'm telling you, this is the biggest deal of your entire life. Like, because eventually all of us realize that there's a deeper issue and you get into a relationship and you're like, well, that's not the man I married. Or, or all of a sudden you, you are blindsided by a friend and everything seemed great. And then this stuff comes out of nowhere. And Solomon's like, because if you leave your heart unchecked long enough, it's gonna show up in your behavior. And so what would it look like to guard your heart? Here's why this is a big deal is in Genesis, it talks about this. If you don't believe Genesis, I get it. We believe it because Jesus talked about Genesis. Jesus rose from the grave. I say that all the time, but it's a big deal because you're not a body that has a heart. You're a heart and you're a soul that has a body, right? In Genesis, it says this, Genesis 2, 7, that the Lord God formed, what? For, for real? The, you gotta help me preach this, all right? I know you're loud in the South, but I can't hear you and it is like crickets in here. So you have got to help me preach this, all right? The Lord God formed what? 
a man, meaning he had arms, he had legs, he had a nose, like he looked like a dude. Like you look at him, it's like, no, that, that's a guy. And then it says this, and from the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of what? Of life. Meaning breathed into him by God himself, his soul, his heart. Dude was a dude, looked like a guy, but it wasn't until God breathed into him that inner place that his mind, will, its emotions, its dream, it's that's what makes you who you are. You're not a body, you are a soul in your heart that has a body. It is the most important thing about you. And so it's why John says this in 3 John chapter 1, verse two, I pray, and you can just check this out on the screen, that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. Even as your, what? Even as your soul or literally your heart is getting along well. Meaning John's going, you are only as well and you are only as healthy as your heart is, as your will, as your mind, as your emotions, the, the inner place of your dreams. Like where that goes is where your life goes. And, and Jesus is gonna come along to go, you're not in most cases taught to monitor that. You're just taught to monitor behavior. You're taught behavioral modification. But I'm telling you, this is the thing in terms of if you want to lead a life of healthiness, of wholeness and freedom, it all starts here. Like the other day, um, I was going out for my coffee on Friday. It's like our Sabbath day. And um, when I go out in the morning on Friday with my coffee, like don't mess with me, right? I mean, in a nice way, but like that's the you know, don't mess with me. And so I'm out there and my wife, if you know my wife, she is like at a different capacity than most human beings. So she is constantly going. And so she's out and she decides that she wants to do something with our pool. And she's like, hey, could you just come help me real quick? Take the cover and stuff off of our pool. And I'm like, all right, I set my coffee down and I, I walk with her. And she immediately, and I don't know what this says about me. She was like shocked. She's like, oh, like, Thank you, thank you for helping me and not saying anything and did a whatever, whatever, whatever. The only problem is she had no idea what was happening on the inside of me. And I haven't told her this yet because she wasn't at the 9 a.m. So this is once again, I use a lot of preaching for confession and it's cheaper than counseling. But in my heart in that moment, and this is no joke, I was thinking, are you serious right now? Like this is the time that we need to go take the pool cover off of the pool. Can I not have a few minutes? I've worked my butt off all weekend long and I just want to drink my coffee. Like that, none of that came out. And in fact, I just took it and felt pretty good about myself, even though I knew that reality um, did not match up with my external behavior whatsoever. And so, babe, it wasn't as nice as you thought it was. But Jesus' whole point, Solomon's whole point is, what is in your heart matters. Proverbs 23, 7 says this. Maybe you've heard this verse before. As a man, what? Help me out, South. As a man in his heart, so is he. Like what you, this is the last point on this and I'll dive into where I wanna go. What you think about and what you pay attention to the most ultimately determines what you become. What you pay attention to and what you think about determines what you become and ultimately determines the level of your health. And so one day, Jesus is with his guys, he's with his disciples, and he's also with this much larger, larger crowd. So his disciples, and then the crowd followed Jesus, and then there was a bunch of Pharisees and religious leaders that were with Jesus. And the Pharisees were constantly trying to drive a wedge between Jesus and the crowd so that ultimately they could arrest him. And so they come up um, to Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus and his disciples had just eaten a meal, but they had not washed their hands. And so the religious leaders see Jesus and they confront Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, let, let us um, ask you a question. Um, why did you not ceremonially wash your hands? Now, it had nothing to do with, obviously, they didn't know about germs, but it had nothing to do with, like, cleanliness or, hey, pass the Purell bottle around. It had everything to do with this ceremonial, external religious ritual that they had made up. Like, they had made it up. And, and so they confront Jesus to go, Jesus. Why do you and your guys not ceremonially wash your hands before you eat? And then Jesus is like, let me ask you a question. And anytime Jesus says, let me ask you a question, it's not gonna end well. 
And, and because here's the thing, God had established real quick, all of these rules in the Old Testament that were these Old Testament um, religious ceremonial rules, but others were, were legitimate rules in terms of connection with God. And they were for, for a season, meaning there was an expiration date. Eventually God was gonna do something new, but God had established a law to teach the people how to connect with God. Well, then the religious leaders and Pharisees came along and they added all of these man-made rules and traditions to the Old Testament law given by God and they just made it up. So this was one of the rules that was reserved for priests that they needed to ceremonially wash themselves as like the symbol of purity before they ate anything. And then they tried to basically make everybody else accountable to it. And so Jesus says, okay, number one, that's not a real rule. And then number two, I've got a question for you. Why do you break the actual laws at the expense of your human traditions? Now, just real quick, can we talk honestly? This got me a little fired up at the 9 a.m. But we do this all the time. Uh, if I could just be really straight, my wife grew up in an organization. It, it drove me crazy because they would have all of this stuff going off where it was a toxic culture. You had men getting wrapped up in porn addictions and leaving their wives all the time. And they were missionaries for this organization. Um, there was, they would treat people like crap. There was a high level of self-righteousness. And then they had these little rules where you couldn't play cards or you couldn't go see Avengers at the movie theater. And I just wanted to go, I think this is the bigger deal over here. I think it's the bigger deal, how you treat people rather than whether you're going to see something at a movie theater or whether you're playing fish at your kitchen table. Like this is what God cares about the most, not your arbitrary rules, but the people that he made. It's the same reason for some of you South, you, some of you know what I'm talking about, where you grew up in a church where you had a deacon that treated people like crap and then got onto you for watching the Smurfs. Because Gargamel was into witchcraft and the underlying theme was sorcery and that whole thing. And don't even get started about the Simpsons. That was another, another level. And so at the 9 a.m. they knew what I was talking about. Apparently a bunch of you are unchurched at the um, 1045 at the North Campus. But it's the same. And so Jesus turns to them and goes, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, which is always the drop the mic moment for Jesus. We're like, I'm done talking. You're hypocrites. And so Jesus kind of pulls himself away from the Pharisees, but there's still this large crowd there. My, you can read this on your own. The funniest part of it is, is some of Jesus' guys come to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, do you know that you just offended the Pharisees? And Jesus is like, my entire ministry has been to offend the Pharisees. Like, have you not been paying attention? And then Jesus kind of pulls them aside and, and he speaks to his guys as well as this larger crowd as the Pharisees are, are kind of walking away to kind of clarify. And he says this in Matthew 15, 11, if you've got your Bible or if you go to CC app, you can see this at either North and South. You still with me at the South campus? You're not the South campus, come on, come on. That's a shout out to the South. I don't need to hear from you right now. Matthew 15, 11. Jesus turns to the crowd and he says this, maybe you've heard this before. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean or literally does not make him at odds with God. And he's not talking about God's love and God's grace. He's talking about the fact of, of this is the big deal to God. And this is what God cares about the most. And the end of the verse, but what comes out of his mouth, literally not just with his words, but with his behavior, how he lives his life, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him, both campuses, what's the word? Unclean. That's what makes him unclean. Meaning, again, not God's love and grace, but this is what God cares about. Now, if you were here for our Unfiltered Jesus series, you, you know some of this, you can go back and listen to that. But when Jesus came, Jesus was a disruptive force. He came not to take the seat with religious leaders at the table, but to turn their tables over. He came not to hang out with what you would think or the type of people you'd think he'd hang out with, but all the people that were marginalized and on the fringes because he said, I came for the sick. I came for those who know they're not right. I came for those who need a savior and understand they can't save themselves. But all throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus was a disruptive force. And one of the things that you'll find as Jesus touched down to planet earth is he was the hinge between the Old Testament or the old law of God and this new covenant or this new system that Jesus was gonna introduce into the world. But Jesus came under the law. 
meaning he lived under the law, he practiced the law, he was in accord with the law until he ended it toward the end of his ministry and life when he died on the cross and then he walked out of a grave and it split the curtain wide open and it was a signifier that the Old Testament law is done, the temple system is done, there's no need for the curtain now because it's not just about the high priest, everybody is invited in and now I am changing the game and there was an expiration date on the Old Testament law and now I'm inviting you into relationship, not based on rules and law, and it's going to change everything. And so the interesting thing, and listen to me, because this will help some of you interpret the New Testament and where it goes off the rails is because we don't understand the underlying idea of what Jesus was introducing, is that all throughout the New Testament, Jesus was given little clues about this. Hey, I'm going to end this. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to destroy this temple in three days hey, I'm going, I'm going to expire this system and I'm going to introduce a new system. And up until this point, it's been all vertical. God, are we good? Give my sacrifice to God. Sing my song to God. Go to the temple to God. Vertical, God, God, are we good? God, are we good? It was all about vertical. It was all about external. And all throughout the New Testament, Jesus was saying, I'm going to change that. And your vertical relationship with God is going to be determined by what you do horizontally. And it's not going to matter so much what you do externally. It's going to matter about what's happening internally. I'm going to change the entire system. And so he's talking to these people and he's introducing these clues. This is throughout the New Testament. This will help you read it. And he says what comes out of his mouth, his behavior, his words, that's, that's what God cares about the most. And so the crowd's like, okay, so Jesus, just so we get this. So you're saying it's all about people? You're saying that what affects people is what ultimately affects God the most? And Jesus is like, no, no, that's what I'm telling you. And see, for us, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, I, I get that. But I'm telling you, that was a brand new idea. And in fact, I would make this case is that we are still dragging with us some of this thinking into 2019 church culture where it's all about vertical. And God, are we good? God, are we great? God, are we good? God, did I do enough? And we're all about this while ignoring this. And Jesus is like, no longer. If you want to know my love for you and you want to love me, don't just bring me sacrifices, sing me songs and sit in rows. It's going to matter with how you treat and how you care for and how you love people around you. It's no longer external and vertical. It's horizontal and internal, and it's all flowing out of your heart because what I care about most is the people around you, and that's what I want you to care about. And so Peter is like, okay, but could you, could you break this down for us further? You can read it for yourself. And Jesus is like, are you dumb? And you think I'm making that up? Literal translation in your English Bible. Are you dull? Are you, listen, Peter, I love you. Are you dumb? Verse 18, but the things, I love Jesus, he's kind of savage, but the things that come out of the mouth, they come from, what is it, guys? From the heart. That the mouth is an indicator of the heart. I don't know where that came from. Jesus like, ooh, I do. That actually originated from your heart and it slipped out through your filter. And most of the time your filter is better than that. But that may be the truest moment you've had in a while. See, this is why, this is my, my little advice to single people. If, if you're in a relationship and, and things are good most of the time and all of a sudden they just go off the rails about something. Like you say, hey, can we go at seven and they explode and go nuts and it's disproportionate. Like what is wrong with you? And it's just stress and this is my little warning, take it or leave it. That when you get married, the filter gets thinner. <laughs> and what you see now is an indicator of what is inside. And Jesus is like, the things that come out of the mouth, they come from the heart. And these, these are what defiles a person. Again, it's not that God doesn't love you, but if you want to know what it means to really have connection with God, this is what defies. It doesn't matter about the external, whether you washed your hands, whether you brought your sacrifice, how you looked during worship, what clothes you're wearing. I don't care about any of that. What defiles you is this. This is what God cares about the most. It's about your life. It's about your words and how they impact other people because what impacts other people, hear me church, is what impacts God. And God's going, that's what I care about the most. And then he says this, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder. It's like an event. You maybe haven't murdered, but you've killed a relationship because of what's in your heart. Adultery that originates from lust. 
it's, it's an event. Sexual immorality, it, it feels like an event. Theft, greed, it feels like a, a thing, a decision, false testimony, slander. But he's going, all of that stuff originated and came from your soul, from your heart, from the inside of you. And Jesus is making the point of, of this is what defiles a person because this is what hurts people. And when you hurt the people that God loves, you hurt God. And so verse 20, he ends this little section and walks away and says, these, all of these behaviors, all these things that we just, you know, we, we know about, but we don't know where they originate. All of these behaviors are what, what's the word, both campuses, one more time? Are what defile a person. Again, at some level, we should know that, but I'm telling you that was brand new. They, they were like, okay, Jesus, one more recap. So mistreating other people is what puts us at odds with God. Not that God's not there, not that God doesn't love us, but, but over and over again, God's going, if you really wanna love me, you, you get things right and you love and care for the people around you that I made in my image. And so Jesus, what you're saying is that if what hurts other people is what hurts God, and what hurts other people ultimately originated from my heart. What you're saying is that's why I need to guard my heart. And Jesus is like, that's it. Because your behavior is eventually going to be a mirror of your heart. And eventually what is in your heart, what is in your soul, what is in your mind, what you feel in terms of your emotions is going to be mirrored in your behavior. And come on, did you need me to show up and preach a message on that? Because we already know that, right? I mean, we already know that, right? I mean, have you ever watched somebody burn down a career because of some stuff that was unchecked internally? Have you ever watched somebody sabotage a relationship with their adult kids because they had some stuff unchecked internally that they never paid attention to? You ever seen somebody destroy a marriage because of some stuff that came out that was hiding out internally? And here's the thing, South, listen to me for a second. Here's the thing is that in many cases, it is so subtle. This is why we don't do it. Because what you feel and what rises up, that emotion that's going on, like in the moment, left unchecked, it's just a rumble strip, boom, 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 not a big deal. But you ignore it long enough, there's always a gap between what you feel and the payoff of that feeling and that thing that's going on in your heart. And sometimes it's a decade long. In fact, this is why you need rumble strips because it can be so, so subtle where things seemingly are successful for you. Things are going well for you in terms of your kids right now. Financially, things are good. Leadership, things are good. Like stuff is rolling pretty well. And yet there's some stuff that is unchecked in your heart. And in Mark, here's what Jesus says, last verse I'm gonna read. He's like, what, what good is it? If you gain the whole world, Things are successful right now. There's some achievement, there's some recognition, but what good is it if you gain the whole world and yet you forfeit your what? You forfeit your soul, you forfeit your heart. You ever achieved something? You ever got to a benchmark? You ever got to the place that you'd been fighting for for a little while and felt like that once you got there, you lost a little bit of who you were? Hurt some people along the way, including you. And Jesus is like, this is why you need some rumble strips because it's subtle. Things may be really, really good for you right now and it leads you into this seduction of just ignoring what's going on in your heart. But I'm telling you, you can eventually move past the rumble strips that should have been there and you can crash into a wall. And I'm telling you, it is not a fair trade. You got what you wanted for a season and you gave up the health of your heart and your soul. And so my question um, as, as we get ready to end in the next 10 minutes, so don't get too, too happy. But I, I wanna end strong and may, maybe like for some of us even bother us a little bit, but I, I wanna talk about four emotions because I wanna make this practical that should become a rumble strip for all of us. And when you, and I've talked about these at different levels at different times, but when you feel these, they, they should start to become, okay, I need to do something. I need to pay attention to that. I need to act. I need to not brush that off before I hurt me before I hurt somebody else around me or before maybe I hurt God. And, and those four emotions are this. And the best way that I've ever heard these emotions described are as a debt debtor relationship, meaning I, I owe something or you owe something, but something is owed. You know what I'm talking about? Like with a bank, a debt debtor relationship. And the four emotions are guilt that says debt debtor, I owe you. 
I owe you. I'm carrying guilt. I'm carrying shame. And here's the thing about guilt and shame is that the longer you carry it, the more it wants to go into hiding and the more you become a secret keeper. I'm telling you, guilt and shame just makes you kind of a secret keeper. And the thing about guilt and shame is it grows the longer it is hidden, the longer you don't address it. And it kind of leads to inauthenticity. It, it's guilt and shame that you, there's weird dynamics. You're like, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And you're like, I know you're not good, but you're hanging on to something. And when you hide something, you are unavailable to someone because of, there's a piece of you that is inaccessible. And guilt is, I, I owe you. And as long as I'm not taking care of it, as long as I'm ignoring that thing inside of me, it's going to potentially affect every relationship of my life. The second one is this, is anger. And anger's debt debtor that says, you owe me. You hurt me. You let me down. You did something. And you are going to pay me back or I am going to pay you back. And here's the thing about anger. Again, I don't even really need to teach on this because you know, but I just want to bring this to the surface if you need to pay attention. This is, is anger is never limited to its place of origin. It always seeps it always leaks, it never stays stationary, and it finds its way, if undealt with, into every season and every relationship of your life. And can I just warn some of you at both of our campuses is that sometimes you can carry anger so long that you forget where it started. And all of a sudden you think it's her, you think it's him, you think it's them, and it's all about what is right in front of you. And you have carried it so long, you don't even know that they are not your problem. And they're trying to solve it for you, but they can't because they are not the issue. And you've never even identified the issue. And anger, the longer you carry it, basically says this, is that I am going to hold this over you and anybody who reminds me of you. Basically, anger says, I will hold other people hostage for what you took. See, debt debtor with anger, it's always as if somebody took something, not physically, but they, they stole a marriage. They stole a dream. They stole your self-worth. They stole your idea. They stole your promotion. It's all, somebody took something and they owe you and you have to decide what you're going to do with that. The third one is this, greed says, I owe me. We talked about this last week. Best definition I've heard is, it is the assumption that everything is for my consumption. If I got it, it's mine. If I achieved it, it's for mine to use and to consume. And my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you in your need, but my money doesn't go out to you. Greed is, greed is I owe me. And greed is where you start to get to a place where you're polishing stuff and you're insuring stuff and you're so attentive to stuff that literally you will hurt other people's feelings in the process of protecting your stuff. And can I just tell you straight up, you don't have to like this, you have a greed problem. Your stuff is more important than the feelings of the people or the emotions of the people around you. And greed says, I owe me, I gotta get mine. And it either leads me to hoarding or it leads me to consumption. And it is an issue of our hearts that can make its way into every area of our life. And then the third one is this, is jealousy. And jealousy just says this, that life owes me. They got what I deserve, you got what I deserve. You got the promotion that I deserved. You got the kids that I deserved. You got the education that I deserved. You got the IQ that I deserved. You got the health diagnosis that I deserve. You got what I deserve. And life at some level, it just owes me. And come on, I know it's quiet because I know when it's quiet, truth is pinning people to their chairs. But listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing about jealousy. And this is in all of us. I'm not asking you to raise your hands at either campus because it's too convicting. But you had moments where you have secretly celebrated the failure of other people around you. And they're not even their, your enemy. It's your sister-in-law. It's somebody, and you had this thing of, they, get, they don't get to the thing that you know they wanted to get to, and there's some kind of thing in you of like, mm. And I'm telling you, you've got to identify that as quick as you possibly can. And jealousy says that life owes me, and it leads this insidious thing where you start to celebrate other people's failure. So I just want to end with this. What do you do with that? When you feel that, when that comes on, when that stuff starts to well up inside of you, and nobody else may know about it. Solomon's like, you need to guard your heart. Jesus is like, you need to pay attention to your heart. And you weren't taught that. And in most churches, it's just a cycle of behavioral modification. And if you look the part, you can go your way. But Jesus is like, this is where true freedom is found. This is where I'm gonna set you free. And I'm telling you, this is why, I'll just make this claim. Jesus makes your life better, what I'm about to talk about. 
When you encounter, it's not pain-free, problem-free, but when you take seriously what Jesus is talking about around this area, it's just better. It's why our churches are so, are so saturated with the idea of creating churches that connect people to Jesus and creating churches that we imagine that are the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything, accessible and welcoming to anybody, tearing away every barrier, being more, not country club, but recovery group, and just connecting people to the hope in Jesus. Because I'm telling you, if you can lead, not the center point, if you can lead people to the good news of Jesus, Jesus has the power to set them free despite their circumstances and change everything. That's why Jesus is the center. And so here's what Jesus teaches. You got like eight minutes still in you, South Campus, North Campus? All right. Just, I know it's convicting. You just lay yourself off the hook. You don't have to do any of it. Most of you don't generally. So Here's what guilt says, I owe you. What do you do? Here's what Jesus says throughout the New Testament. You need to confess. And not to God, because he already knows. He's already aware. And come on, isn't that the religious system most of us grew up in? Because it was all vertical. It was all me and God. In the New Testament, you find way more said about confessing to other people than you do about confessing to God. You need to confess to the person, if it's possible, that you hurt that you took something from, that you stole that marriage from. Like, you, you need to get it right. And Jesus over and over again says, that is the thing that is going to heal you and set you free. And if you're not ready to do that, you just need to confess it to somebody. But you need to take it away from this because God's going, I already know, you told me 17 times, but you're still carrying the guilt and shame. You need to do what I've told you to do in order to really find healing. And when you confess, here's the reality in a lot of cases, Outside and externally, there will be chaos. Internally, there will be peace. And the quicker you take care of it to monitor and guard your heart, the quicker God can move. In a lot of cases, you can deal eventually and manage all of the external chaos, but you will not trade anything in the world for what God does at the level of your heart and setting you free because secrets suck the life out of you. And the very thing, let me just preach for a second. The very thing that is keeping you from confessing is the very thing that led you in the behavior in the first place. And it's your pride. And Jesus is going, I want to set you free. You, you feel like you owe somebody and you're never going to be able to pay it back. But I still want to give you health and I want to give you freedom. And so I want you to confess because I love you. And there may be momentary external chaos, but there is going to be peace at the level of your heart. You need to confess it. The second rumble strip of your heart is, is when you begin to feel anger that, that somebody owes you. You know this, Art, I don't even need to, you need to forgive. You need to identify specifically what they owe you and then you need to cancel the debt. You're like, well, that, that's letting them off the hook. It is. But it's letting you off the hook at the same time. And many of you know this, this is not an issue of justice. It's not an issue of minimizing what they did. They did take it. They did sabotage the marriage. They did hurt your kids. They did do some things. And if we were to hear your story, I mean, it's over the top. This isn't about that. This is, I know they did it. I know they should pay, but I don't have the ability to make them pay in a way that's gonna be healthy for my heart. So I'm gonna leave justice with God who's promised to get justice. And I'm gonna go free and I'm gonna live free at the level of my heart because here's what all of us know. They can't pay you back anyway. They can't give you the marriage back anyway. They can't pay you back those teen years anyway. This is about you going free. And some of you are like, well, that doesn't work. And here's my admonition to you. Because you've forgiven generally, but you've never forgiven specifically. And you need to literally, and this is, I've talked about this for years. You need to get a journal and you need to write down everything that they owe you. And you need to bring it before the Lord. And it may not happen in an instant, but God will begin to move in you when you decide, and it is a decision, I'm gonna cancel the debt of what they owe me. It's not that they don't owe me. I'm not gonna make them pay because I wanna go free. And I'm gonna trust the Lord. And I'm telling you over time, God will begin to align your emotions with your behavior. But if you wanna go free to they owe me, you have got to forgive so that you don't carry that into every relationship and every season of your life. And then I just want to say one more thing on this issue to dads, because this is one of the biggest issues that 
eats us up and sabotages our relationships, I think because of our pride. And I just wanna say this specifically to those of you who are dads with kids, is that for most of you, maybe not all of you, you want the respect of your adult children. else that that what you give the check you write if you're one of the three people in the world that writes a check or whatever you need to give away it, it may not mean anything but it's a big but you need to find something that is a big deal to you and go I'm gonna give it away you're like well I'm not very cheerful about it you don't need to be cheerful about it on the front end we're always waiting for emotions it is one of the casualties of our culture Jesus is like no, no don't wait to feel it if you do it if you allow yourself to your emotions eventually will follow it. You don't need to be cheerful to give. You need to give in order to be cheerful. So find something valuable to you and give it away other than your kids. Find something like a thing, not a person. Find something valuable to you and give it away. It breaks the power of greed that says it's all for me. And I'm telling you, when you do, whatever it is, I would challenge you to do this. God will begin to work. I'm gonna give first. I'm gonna save second. I'm gonna live on the rest. I'm gonna reprioritize because God, I want you to have my heart. Find something valuable. And with begrudging submission, God will take that initially. Give it away. And what you're doing is inviting God to work at the level of your heart as it relates to your stuff. And then finally, the issue of jealousy that says that God owes me. And you just need to celebrate. And here, can I just give you this? Do you know the person that you're really upset with or really have an issue with as it relates to jealousy because you think it's him, you think it's her, you think it's this guy that stole your promotion? You know who you're really angry with? God. Because who's the one person that really could have done anything about that? He could have opened the door to the promotion. He could have healed them. He could have made it happen. He, he, could, have, he could have changed things for your family of origin. He could have reorchestrated all of it that your issue is really with God. And when you acknowledge that, and I know some of you are afraid to pray this, but North and South, if you would just go, God, I, I feel like you owe me something. I'm kind of, I thought it was her, but I'm angry with you. I'm telling you, God invites that prayer. And it might be the most powerful prayer that you have prayed in a while. And I'm telling you, the people that you have been moved and awed by the most, and maybe this isn't you, but for a lot of us, it is the people where life just hands them stuff and life just happens sin-infested world. And they take what life has handed them and they would never choose it, but they surrender that back to God to go, I wouldn't choose this, but God, I want you to use this. And I'm not going to live my life as if you owe me something and carry that into every relationship and every season of my life. And if you've ever met those people, it is the most powerful draw-dropping thing in the world. Let me get ready to close in a second, but I thought about this as I was saying for this message, those people for me are my parents. And I know I talk about them a lot, but um, they're the most faith-filled followers of Jesus I have ever met. And they just happen to be my parents, but that I have ever met. And I'm watching my dad right now walk with my mom through late-term Alzheimer's. And it's horrible. It's awful. And you would never choose it. And you don't know why God would allow it. And if you were on kind of this quid pro quo kind of system that we want to work with on God, you would go, man, they've been so faithful. But several times, three or four times, I just asked my dad, hey, dad, how are you doing? How are you doing? Like, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And he said to me probably about four times, just eyeball to eyeball, and I know he's not BSing me. He'd just look at me and go, God doesn't so well, amazing that we're dying. I just watch him over and over and he'll just celebrate the crap out of stuff. He'll celebrate people. I, and I'm telling you, he is going through one of the most difficult times you could ever imagine. He is one of the most free people I have ever met because here is the reality. Let me just give it to you straight. God doesn't owe us anything. 
God came to planet earth and condescended to become like us when he could have wiped us out and started all over to go, I am gonna come for one mission. I'm gonna go to the cross. I'm gonna set my face toward Jerusalem. I didn't come to accidentally be taken by Pharisees and scribes and then nailed to a cross. I came with that in mind. I came knowing what I was gonna do. I'm gonna give up my life for the sake of the world. I'm gonna die the most brutal death imaginable. And then I'm gonna fold up the linens in the grave, letting everybody know that I'm done what I came here to do. And I'm gonna walk out of the grave alive and I'm gonna offer hope and life and faith and freedom and destiny to every single individual. And if I don't do another thing, that's enough. And I don't owe you anything, but here's what I promised you, Jesus would say, I will be with you. And what you need to do to break the power of believing that God owes you something is to celebrate what God has already done and celebrate what God is doing in the lives of other people. And God will begin to break the power of this thing that is destroying you. And it's destroying the relationships around you. It's why next week will kind of be the unofficial start of a new series called Shattered that Nicole kind of did a one-off on in the fall where her and I are going to teach some of that together and and talk about just the fact of, of when we're shattered, where do we find hope? Hope when it hurts. And your thing might not be a big deal to somebody else. It may be you're just walking through a season where things aren't going well, or it may be some huge issues like suicide or mental illness. We're going to deal with every gamut of that. But like, where do we find hope in Jesus when it hurts and how do we take care of our hearts? But here's what Jesus would tell us today is that the essence of existence and the essence of following Jesus is not change your behavior. It is Jesus going, I wanna do something from the inside of you that's gonna transform the outside of you. And the reality is I just want some of you to hear me that have never really grabbed a hold of this in your church existence and experiences that love and Jesus' love can bring about transformation. Your transformed behavior as you white knuckle and make sure everything is good on the outside doesn't necessarily lead to love for Jesus. Sometimes it leads you to be a pharisaical, self-righteous idiot. And Jesus is going, I want you to follow me into something better. And if you want to live whole, and if you want to live healthy, and if you want to live free, to quote Solomon, Guard your heart. 
for everything you do flows from there. So if you would, at both campuses, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me at our North Campus and our South Campus right now and, and remain where you are as much as possible, just out of respect for what God's doing in the lives of people who are around you. And I just want to give you an opportunity, and I, and I would encourage you over these next even few days or today to do something that's really difficult for us to do, and that is to turn off the phone, to stop the scrolling for a second, to remove all the white noise, and, and just kind of go internal to go, God, like where I feel and have felt some of these emotions and had some of these red flags and these rumble strips hit, I just, I want to pay attention to them. And God, I, I want to I wanna do something about it before I go off the rails into a situation or into a place or a decade down the road where suddenly there's some irreparable damage and I want, I want to monitor, I want to guard my heart, what goes in, what's coming out, what I feel. So wherever you're at in either campus, if there's some things right now that you're not in the ditch, you're not against the, the wall, but there, there's some stuff in your heart that you need to pay attention to and you maybe have been more concerned about the monitoring of behavior than you have been the guarding your heart. You just say, there's some things that I need to pay attention to and there's some actions that I need to take. Would you just lift up your hand? South Campus, would you just lift up your hand and go, that's me. And there's some areas in my heart where I just, I want to pay attention to and I want to do what God's calling me to do. And North Campus, just lift up your hand and go, there's some issues in my heart. There's some things in my heart. There's some rumble strips I'm running over in my heart. And I just, I want to, with uplifted hand, I want to acknowledge them and pray for courage to do something about If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.